Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Chickity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, yes. my fine metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Zucks Podcast. How you doing? I'm Chuck. I'm Godless, as are we. Oh. And this is your weekly examination of all things metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast, uh, where we discuss all kinds of fun metal topics and talk to great metal musicians from all around the world. Fabulous right here. Today we're going to have Mark Holcomb, guitar player from uh, Periphery On, as our guest. Uh, we're going to ask him all kinds of rude questions and talk about the brand new record called Juggernaut Alpha Omega. Potential album of the year already. Possibly. It is entirely possible that it could be, because it's that fucking good you know what's so good is like every other band that's in the studio or writing right now should be listening to that album going how do we outdo this well you don't know gotta outdo it you don't outdo it man gotta outdo you it do it differently but you do it better outdo it better yeah uh, I, I don't know are you trying to tell me that these musicians Something. are not competitive no not at all not oh. anymore man dude how many musicians have we talked to that you've tried to like pick a beef with somebody else and they've, yeah. they're like, no, that's no. true. I kind of love everybody, man. Yeah. It seems to be the way of the world these I days. I think we're okay. Nobody wants to beef with <sighs> nobody anymore. In a time when you could really beef with people, right? Yeah. I mean, like you could really fuck with people now, and yeah, and, and they're not they're not willing to do it. I mean, look at look at. Well, Maybe I that's know why. you hate it when I you think, start a flame war. Yeah, I'm thinking like that's no Conor McGregor, the UFC. You know, he <laughs> picks fights with everybody, and everybody's paying to see him because he's who's the uh, but who was the one that went viral the other day? Was that country dude that was like hugging his opponent or whatever? Like. It was like, hey, man, all right, it's great to see you. Uh, some cowboy, somebody. Oh, yeah, Don Cerrone. Yeah, who yeah. was like, hey, man, how's it going? Good yeah. to see you, buddy. All they right. They fought for like, for like an hour already. Yeah, and he Be- was like, all happy-go-lucky yeah. and stuff at his weigh-in or whatever. And it was like, and that was going viral because yep. he's all nice. Yeah. Hey, see, it works yeah. just the other way, man. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. But yeah. when everybody's doing that, it just gets lost in the noise, man. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But now... The noise is the negativity, bro. <laughs> the alpha and the omega is what <laughs> we need. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need the alpha and the omega. We're also going to hear a new song from Venom in this episode, maybe a brand new one from Periphery, uh, and talk to Stavros Giannopoulos once again. It's time for story time with Stavros. Featuring New Orleans number two features members of Metallica. Oh, yeah. You'll see what we mean when we get there. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's, oh, it's exactly why. We invite Stavros on the show. It's one of those stories that I just yes. The others were good. This one's the best. This this is this is probably Tibbity Top. This is this is a story that I have retold to people since hearing this story. That's how good this story is. Awesome. So yeah, it is. It's because yeah, it's uh, it's bar has been set high. Well, New Orleans is one of my favorite places in the world. Like I love that place, but I see. I, I, I might have been one of the people he was talking about that walked up on what was happening at the end. Yeah, it might have been me, like the goofy white guy in his deck shoes. That could have been me. It's entirely possible. And so. if you want to hear the next story time with Savros, you've got to subscribe on iTunes. Oh, there you go. iTunes, uh, make sure you search Metal Sucks Podcast on iTunes. You will find it, uh, as well as Stitcher and all those other places where you get it. You can follow us on the Twitter box. I'm at Bearded Ape. I'm at Godless Speaks. So uh, make sure you do that, too. We uh, we we send out the links every Monday on uh, on Twitter for you, so you can get it at MetalSucks.net every single Monday when we post this sucker. So Help us start yeah. a grudge with somebody. You know, like a, <laughs> like I don't know, who? Like, I don't know, a 
podcast war or something. Well, you, you wanted to start one with uh, that metal show. I want to start one with anybody. I mean, we we, we could do, well, we that try metal, it. That metal show would be easy. Those guys are awful. Well, we could start it with them, but but then you know they just pound us into the ground because they've got television on their side, and that's like. You know that. The, What's the latest over. with Faster Pussycat on the next episode of Matt Metal Show? Hey, what by the, the way, hell? my name is Chuck. <laughs> and what's your name? You I'm Godless. You gotta, you gotta give an update every five seconds of what <laughs> oh, your name yeah, is. Right, yeah. Hey, I'm Chuck. <laughs> I'm Don't, Godless. You're here with the Metal Sucks podcast, and we're listening to some more metal and with we're some here, people that are great. We're it's here great to be here. And we're here with great white. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing's on fire yet. It's the most boring thing ever. Oh, I'll tell you, man. I'm godless. Now, yeah, I'm Chuck. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. All right. We'll be back in five seconds, two and two. All right. No, it's, we've got, uh, let's see, the other thing that you can do is you can leave us a message on SpeakPipe. We're at the bottom of every post that we post on Monday at MetalSucks.net, there's a little link, and you can leave the message of something that you want to ask the show. If you got some question, if you want to talk about dating, or you want to talk about uh, the interview that we did, or if you have suggestions for stuff that we should talk about, I'm always open to any of those things. And I think this week we got a good one, and we and Ty finally we're going to the get, best. I think we're going to get him in this time. We 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 missed it. Like every time he's left a message, it's been behind. Yeah, like like so close. But yeah. I, think, I think he's got a good one this week. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Ty, and my question for you is uh, has to do with the new lineup for Bonnaroo. Uh, there are four metal acts that are going to be playing Slayer. Paul Bearer, Between the Buried and Me, and Unlocking the Truth. My question for you is, how do you think they're going to be received in a uh, festival where the primary uh, genres are like alternative, indie, bluegrass, psychedelic, pop, rap type stuff? Do you think it's going to give them more uh, visibility and they'll be received well, or what? Just like to know your thoughts on that. Thanks. See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about timely. Now we just need to get you a better microphone. That's all, Ty. <laughs> it's all right. And, you know, this nobody is, got him one for Christmas. This time, next time, we'll we'll figure it out. They're they're getting cheaper, dude. Don't worry, it's okay. Slayer and Bonnaroo, man. So that was a big announcement what, last week, uh, and and everybody's like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. Slayer. So what do you think? I don't know. It's interesting because I think that I almost think that there was a time where if bon, a, a Bonnaroo had called up Slayer and said. We want you that Slayer just to keep their cred would just turn it down. No, I think so. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. There's no way. Yeah. If, if a Bonnaroo or a Lala or somebody like that was writing a paycheck for Slayer and they said, come over here and play, Slayer goes, uh, fuck yeah. Yeah, but there's, I think that's the interesting, that's the part, that's the other wing on this bird, right? I don't think that years ago that those festivals would have paid with Slayer what no, they'd be worth. No, they, shit no. They would have been totally underestimated. Which may have been a good reason for them to give them the finger and say no. Yes. You know, but... But the, claiming that it's, hey, we're metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. at the same time, I mean, so what's weird to this to me is, is that um, we have a festival here in Austin, Texas that is kind of what Bonnaroo is doing right now. Or trying to do in some small way, dabbling with. And we've got what's called Fun, Fun, Fun Fest, right? And Fun, Fun, Fun Fest has got you know, four different stages with four different types of things on them. They got the black stage, which is metal, punk, hard rock, that kind of stuff. They got the orange stage, which is, you know, anything from 
MIA to whatever's whatever pop acts that, that's out right now. You got the blue stage, which is kind of hip hop, rap, and in electronica. You got the yellow stage, which is all comedy and right. all that. And then you got skateboarding and all the all these other things. It's that are a in cool there. ass festival. It's a great festival. I do not like festivals. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even like Ozfest that much back in the day because it was miserable, like yeah. totally miserable. Because what are you doing? You're paying nine bucks for a beer. And you're standing out in the sun for 12 hours straight to see bands that would be much better in a club, right? Fun Hunt Fun Fest is one of those that kind of gets you around that because there's so many different little things to do and, and all that stuff. And I know Bonnaroo is more about like camping and it's kind of a lifestyle thing. It's more of like an Austin City Limits vibe, which we've also been exactly, had with. or even Lollapalooza for that matter. It's kind of the same of the same milk, so, even though it's not the same company that runs them. Or I've whatever. been to a boatload of ACLs. I've been to Coachella. I've not been to a Bonnaroo. But hmm. it's supposed to be very similar to Coachella, so at least I can okay. speak to it that way. So what I'm thinking is, is that they see the potential for broadening their audience by inviting somebody like Slayer in, and they've got some kitsch value. They got the people will talk about it, and they might be able to sell with four or five bands on it. They might be able to sell an eighty dollar ticket to a metal fan to come out to this thing who would not otherwise even consider going near the place. Yeah, you know, because I who else? Billy Joel's on there. Yeah, it's, it's, that's so like awesome. That. It's like, though. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, on, I've dude. seen I've seen Billy Joel. So fuck it, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've seen Billy Joel like when. Well, he wasn't much better. It was you know we didn't start the fire or nothing like that. But still, oh man, it's the worst song of oh, all time. It's terrible. Oh. Uh, well, it's not as bad as that other rock and roll song, but uh, which uh, the 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 ah, we built the city. That one. Yeah, yeah, that is the <laughs> that's worst. That's the worst of rock and roll time. song of all time. It, well, any song, but we didn't any start song. the fire as close. Yeah, but the so it's. I don't know. I don't think it's so strange for them to try to get somebody like Slayer to do it. I don't think it's strange. Certainly not strange. But I think that that it's. I'm curious as to whether it's just for the paycheck for Slayer. It, there's a certain amount of that. But I think also that that's kind of what got me thinking about it was in the context of Venom, right? Because Venom got a new album coming out. Yeah, and, we're gonna play some. Yeah, and so like. Uh, Slayer have been able to, by doing stuff like this, preserve their legacy, sort of establish it. Well, wait, try to. What do you mean? By ba- by basically getting out to uh, 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 these sort of festivals and events that uh, sort of um, uh, validate them as being sort of the kings of the genre. Like the reason that Paul Bearer there is very different from the reason that Slayer is there. You well, know. yeah, because Paul Bear's a the, like, like I said, that's a sweetener. Yeah, you know? and that's that's the hipsters can get into it, so therefore it's okay. But you know? anybody, but also, <sighs> same sl- thing. I'm sorry, Slayer is one of those things that is at this point getting to be kind of hipster. But it, but only because it's transcended the genre. You can talk no, to agree. just about and that's anybody. what I'm saying. But but that's, they're a household name. But well, then that's what I mean. It's it's gotten to the point where oh. Oh, that be that's cute. You get to see Slayer. Yeah, there's a you know Slayer have gone from. And the I reason, just by the way, the, the reason yeah, the reason I said Fun 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 Fest is because they played Fun 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 Fest right, twice, twice. Yeah, along with a bunch of other. But Slayer have gone. They've gone from bands. people carving the name into their arm to people wondering if they might do a walk on in the next episode of Modern Family. I mean, they've Whatever. transcended the genre. No, I I, w- I would agree with that as well. But you, you're talking about Tom Araya. Who's got the big beard and he'd be awesome as like the next door neighbor. It's just one of he he sort of looks like that uh, the Santa Claus that that murdered a bunch of people in American Horror Story Asylum. But you know that's just right. Neither here nor there. Yeah, but you know as long as you're Jewish, you're good. But it's no the the I think that this is like also just showing how hipsters have 
commandeered a side of metal. Like they've been able to grab a hold of pieces of metal and pull them in. And it's not, there's no danger to it anymore. It's just not, oh no, Slayer used to be fucking frightening. People used right. to be scared of Slayer and talking about, you know, God hates us yeah. all and Satan. And um, no, no, we're just yeah. not. Now he's, wa- water, you know, yeah. watering his lawn. Oh, that's after cute. After the second commercial. You know, yeah. that's cute. You yeah. know, it's just, a, oh, I'd be, it'd be really cool to buy a Slayer shirt at a Slayer show. I get to see Slayer. Cool. Yeah, and the cool thing is, is that we can talk about how safe Slayer are, and we can walk out of here without feeling any danger whatsoever that Slayer fans are going to beat us senseless. It didn't used to be that way. I remember going to see Metallica <laughs> on Justice for All Tour, and afterwards, people were, like, busting into the 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 um, uh, convenience stores on their way out because everybody was freaking hungry. They were breaking windows. And it was awesome. Because it was scary, it was metal, and we were all angry. You know, that's how you do it. Mm. That doesn't happen no more. No, we'll just all camp together, bro. But, like, Venom have not had that happen for them. What do you mean? They they, they don't have that that legacy that's sort of being built. It's It, it was interesting, because I was thinking about how, like, when I... Uh, well, but they also don't have raining blood. So, I mean, you know, if it, they've got black metal. Yeah, and, but and that, I, I mean, the whole genre named after it. Yeah, but it's, but what I'm saying is, is that it's not. It's it, yeah. it's not. They've a, never had that kind of success. Yeah, no, they not even close. And and, and then the to to put it album after album after album after album. There's not many bands that can post that kind of success and be underground. Yeah, you know, Cannibal Corpse is another one that's probably almost getting close to an exception to that rule. Do you know what I mean? They're yep. they're almost there, but even they are a little bit more vile <laughs> for, for, for many to take. You know, so Slayer is a we could talk about talk about God, but you know, when you're stripped raped and strangled, it's a whole other thing. Yeah. We're not quite there yet. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're almost there. We're getting there. You know, but but we're close. <laughs> so I mean I think that those bands I think the top end metal bands, there's just not this is not it's not as dangerous as it used to be so it's it's a little more acceptable and our crowd is aging yeah. you know they there this is the first time that we've ever gotten to see what happens when our genre has elder statesmen and they get they're they're aging out of this thing and into this middle middle agedness you know i mean and it may be the wife wants to go see billy joel and and dad wants to go see slayer you know, so, oh, we're going to go to Bonnaroo, man. Hell yeah, because right. it's the best of both worlds. That's right. I think you might get a lot of that. You yeah. Know? I, I could see that being being the case quite a bit. And, I, and I, that was a lot of the case with the Fun 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 Fest thing. But, you know, they thought of it first. Just, it just, ha- happened yeah. to me at ACL. had that very same thing. I think uh, when Clutch were performing on one stage, uh, B-52s were playing on another. The wife went and saw the B-52s. No, but I, I, I like the B-52s, though. Oh, my. You, know, you do? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Tin roof rusted, bro. No, nobody likes yeah, the B-52s. On, B-52s. People B-52s put up with the B-52s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shiny, happy people and shit. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Well, that song was good. But, <laughs> uh, the rest of it, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rock Lobster, man? Come on. Even Dead Horse did a cover of Rock that, Lobster, that, man. Shit. What yeah, the hell but, are you talking about? If you were to validate a band and how good they were based on how somebody else was able to like Make do something good awesome. with their music, I mean, yeah, forget it. Well, come on. With Dissonant Aggressor, there you go. Yeah, all we'd right. be talking about how great St. Anger is, you know? <laughs> No, no, we still, actually, we're not. We still wouldn't be talking about how good St. Anger is. Sorry, yeah, so it's great local band. Uh, that's really cool, man. Now I don't know. I mean, and, and what Ty was saying and was asking too is that do we think it's also going to spread their fan base or going to make more people 
do whatever. I think the only thing it'll do is it'll make more people buy Slayer t-shirts, and that's about it. Well, I think... Hmm. I don't think it's going to expand their fan base. I don't think they're going to win over a bunch of people that didn't like Slayer before, and, and they're going to like them now. I don't think it's, a, it's it's not about that. I really don't think no, so. But I, I think it's about the Bonnaroo people going, we could bring in some more people and make money off of this. Well, yes, but I think that there's also value in there's going to be a whole lot of people who are going to be able to tell all their friends at dinner parties for the next bajillion years oh we saw slayer in concert or this there's this crazy show i've been to a metal show before oh my goodness past the wine dead babies Did you are funny see that oh it was yeah. great yeah oh, oh bully oh, wonderful that's I, what it's about i think the question is is, is are those metal fans that are going to go to bonnaroo get hipsterized and start loving billy joel i think the danger is the other way hey, wait a minute no billy we're, joel's awesome we're gonna have all of this all of the hate sucked out of us by the hippie patchouli smoking whatever people of Bonnaroo, man that's what's gonna happen dude yeah they're gonna take all of our stuff out of it they're not gonna we're not gonna recruit more metal fans nah, it's not gonna happen that way man no. i see what's happening here dude but i think that some people are, i think i think that people will check out bt bam and appreciate it you oh, know well in that in that format yeah totally yeah and i think they'll go well that's interesting you know and i think enough of them or there's going to be those handful of people like uh what john paul was talking about last week where like you know he was talking they open up for marilyn manson and everybody sees you know in the next thing they're, yeah. they're like oh it went awful and then, or there's enough weed being smoked that everybody's like dude this is fucking cool, bro. And obviously, right. unlocking, rocks. unlocking the truth <laughs> is all about the well, sort of yeah. spectacle of it. You yeah, know? it's not going to be like baby metal where it's like that good. I mean, that's that spectacle you. on another level. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. It's like it's that, but that actually has some musicality and other stuff to yeah. back it up. So well, and unlocking the truth. When I saw my fun, fun, they were great. I enjoyed yeah. it. It was really good. But you know, but I'm going to go saw see Paul Green School of Rock and and have the same experience. So, yeah, you know. usually that's really good too. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, so you know. I don't know. I it's the motives are are interesting, but I know it's all money. So yeah, well, on the business side, I just think that on the audience side is is very interesting. Mm. I just don't know if too many people are going to spend a, a, the amount of money that you got to spend to go to Bonnaroo and the investment in time and resources to do it. Whatever, I'm going just to, to go see Slayer. You I'm know? going to Rock Rock Lahoma, man. I'm going to go see. I think is Limp Biscuit playing there this year. I hope so, man, because that's what I really want to see. Excuse me, Slexeter. Slexeter? <laughs> yeah, but see, that's the other thing. It's like most people don't realize that they're not checking they, out Slayer. They, they don't care. Yeah, they, they, don't care. they don't care. It doesn't matter. It's a Slayer T-shirt, bro. So would would people would somebody really plunk down that kind of money to go see Slexeter in concert? I mean, I think they should. It's awesome. It might even sound better than Slayer did. Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I think they will. I mean, but that's the whole point is that you add a couple of bands to it and you're good to go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's an expensive ticket nowadays. I think uh, we got to get into this interview with uh, Mark Holcomb of uh, Periphery. Their new album, Juggernaut Alpha and Omega, comes out. Uh, on the 27th so if you uh, if it's past that go check it out because it's pretty awesome we're going to play a song here in a little bit and uh, and yeah get to talk to Mark from Periphery on the Metal Sucks Podcast What's up, dude? It's uh, Chuck and Godless from the Metal Sucks Podcast, man. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you guys Excellent day. Yeah, pretty good, dude. Pretty good. It sounds like everybody around you is getting sick right now. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody except for me, it looks like uh, Matt, he tore up his hand, our drummer, he tore up his hand pretty bad a couple of shows ago, and Spencer, 
uh, had strep throat, which is basically the worst thing you can have if you're a singer. Uh, yeah, I would say. So he's uh, almost lost his voice in the middle of the tour? Yeah, I mean, like, not even that. Right when we started the tour, he started having uh, throat problems. And, like, day four, uh, he went to a clinic, and they told him he had strep throat. And it's been a miracle he hasn't missed a show yet. I, I think we're all kind of expecting the worst case, having to drop off a couple shows. But we managed to stick through it. And, and there was one night, uh, we, we only had him sing on three or four songs, and the rest we did instrumentally. Um, so, yeah, thankfully it's not as bad as it could be, you know. And what happened to Matt's hand? Uh, I think that's just the nature of hitting your drums really hard. And, and oh, okay. he just, I, sometimes he like he he hits harder than he should, and he doesn't restrain when he needs to. Uh, but that's 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 just a passionate performer right there, man. He, he hits way too hard. So when the audience, when you're playing instrumental, and the audience like just like goes, "Wow, that was awesome! That song is so great!" Instrumental. Do you all look at the singer and go, "Huh? See? Sorry, Spence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. We don't. The the band members don't because I, I honestly feel a little awkward not having a singer up there. We're all used to having a front man being up there singing the parts and sort of leading us, so to speak. Um, I'll tell you what is weird, though. You know, we have a polarizing singer. People love Spencer, but then there's other people who, who, who criticize the singer. You know how fickle metal fans can be. Yeah, um, and other band um, members. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um but, yeah, then there are those people who are like, I heard Periphery played an instrumental show in Tampa the other night. Why can't we get one? Play an instrumental show in Manitoba, Canada, or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's funny to hear people bits like that. You know, it's, it, we come to expect it. Does the, the singer still pick up the hottest chick even when all he's the girls know that he's not only not singing, but he's also contagious. potentially contagious? That's a good experiment, actually. I, I'm, I'm going to try that out. Yeah, um, I got to plead the fifth uh, so far. Yeah, I'm not allowed to speak about that stuff. Yeah, that's right. What happens on the road? Blah blah blah. Yeah, exactly. What happens on the road goes on Instagram and Twitter. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Well, see, I was figuring everybody's just sick from too many damn cupcakes at this point. Oh man. Oh god. Did you guys that's start that's something that's terrible with the cupcake thing? <laughs> If by terrible you mean awesome, delicious, and, and, <laughs> delicious and make, making us really fat, then yes, uh, we've all gained about 15 pounds since the tour started. We filmed the joke video before the tour. Um, like We were going to do a short video that promoted the VIP things that we're doing before each night. Yeah. And, uh, and we sat down and do it, and we're like, oh, this is really lame. I hate talking on the camera. Let's not do this. So Misha was like, I have an idea. And he started shoving a cupcake in his mouth to talk to the camera. And we were all just cracking up. And then we post it and put Japanese subtitles underneath it to make it even weirder. Um, and then all of a sudden, day one, these meeting greets come and people start bringing cupcakes. And, you know, by the end of the week, we just have mountains of cupcakes on our bus that we're not even eating because there's just so much. So I think we're going to have to start sharing them at these meeting greets. Yeah, now you're going to have to, like, do a video about while well, you're eating Advil. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to see how far we can stretch it if we, like, can get people to start bringing caviar filet mignon or whatever see i like that idea there you go how about, how about money much <laughs> <laughs> just a briefcase yeah, of money yeah. let's ease it in we got to start with cupcakes <laughs> yeah, then we'll graduate to filet mignon. <laughs> exactly and then we'll graduate to money then we'll graduate to just like we're doing you cupcakes. people a favor just skip going to the store and pick up anything and just bring the cash direct yeah, let's bring some money. We'll take Canadian. <laughs> no, when I saw when I saw that video posted, I was like, "Oh, this is going to go terribly wrong." I know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to wind up with a trailer full of cupcakes. Yeah, what I'm afraid of is like 
roofies in a cupcake. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, what a great I idea. I think about that, actually. Actually, I forget I said that. Never mind. Or somebody like dusting <laughs> them with something terrible, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, roofing roofing a band member probably wouldn't be the worst thing that ever happened. He <laughs> <laughs> just plays really slow. Right. Everything slows down. Yep. But I would imagine, like, when you're on the road and somebody's getting ill, that whole, like, job security thing kind of plays into it because you don't want – you want everybody else in the band to think that you're vital. Yeah, I mean, with, with any of us, I mean – Spencer, obviously, he's the voice of our band, but the guitar players, we have three guitar players, and we all play leads, we all play solos, we all play rhythm parts, and we all have our own unique moments um, in, in, a, in a given set but, every night. So, but there's three of you. There's three of us. Yeah. And we've made the joke before, we'd be like, hey, you know what, I'm not feeling good, you guys just go ahead and do this one, I'll, I'll sit on the bench, there's still like a million other guitar players in the band. Um, but... No, it's it, it, it's really strange. We've been in a position before of, of Matt, our drummer, uh, not being able to play a show, and we had to hire somebody else in like a 24-hour span uh, and and, uh, and and get someone else to do it. So it's really tough, man. It's, it's a nightmare if one of us cannot play a show. So did you actually pull that off? Was somebody able we to did, yeah. jump in and do it? Yeah, it was a miracle. We hired um, Mike Mallion from Monuments, the drummer of Monuments, to do it. Um, and that guy's a freak of nature. He learns things so quickly. So he was able to learn something like six songs in 48 hours or something like that. Damn. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot. but Yeah, it doesn't music, sound like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you listen to any any given periphery record, though, at the same time, yeah, that's, that's true. Because in my head, I'm thinking like, row, row, row your boat, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm thinking of like an ACDC. Yeah, totally. But, one, um, two, but no, for our music, it's a pain. Yeah. Now, I just figured that you guys got three guitarists just to put up with all of the fans af- asking you guys guitar questions after every show. You split oh. it three ways instead of two. Oh, God. It's still too much. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how you cut it, we can have three more guitar players and still be guitar questions. That's, uh, that's, that's what we say about our band. We don't have any groupies. The days of female groupies in rock music are over. Now we get questions about string gauges and what kind of amp setting we use on the axe effects and all this stuff. I know. I was, uh, I was reading your, uh, your AMA or whatever, and I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Nobody wants to know the interesting stuff. They just want to know about the dorky technical side of things. Well, if they're cute... Uh, well, I mean, that's one thing. <laughs> I mean, if they're, if they're cute and they're asking about string gauges, it's one thing. I'll I mean, tell you what yeah. strings I use if you pull your pants down. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of hot. Well, it was funny. I wrote a review of uh, of the record for uh, Metal Injection, and I think when you guys posted a link on uh, on Facebook, the what I got the most shit about was about not talking enough about the guitar tone and this and that. What they did with this, and I'm like, really? Uh, right. It's like what's right. I was listening to the how the record feels and what I'm you know what I get when I'm listening to it. I don't know. I'm I guess I listen to it things differently than a lot of kids today. It's hard to make everyone happy, you know, and and as much as you're trying your best to convey what you thought of the album, there's always going to be someone who's like, well, he didn't talk about the drumming or he didn't talk about, like you said, the guitar tone. You can't make everyone happy. Is it, is it just me? But it it, to me, the new album and all of it, both albums, it, it sounds like you guys are thinking song first and sort of musicianship to serve the song, which is, 
always something you guys have always sort of like attempted, I guess, or, or it seemed like you're trying to do, but it seems like you, you actually really, really accomplished it this time. Does that sound right? Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. That, that was very deliberate uh, from, our, from our standpoint, right from the very beginning of conceptualizing Juggernaut. Um, I mean, the idea of doing a concept album um, has been around for a long time in our band, for years and years now. Um, so we wanted to have a narrative tie everything together. Historically, we've kind of just put out songs that sounded cool and were fun to play for us, but there was never really any overarching narrative tying things together. Um, so, so to do that, uh, we, we went, uh, we went about writing the album in a, in a very different way. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you feel that way, man. I'm, I'm glad you, you pick up on that kind of stuff. What, at what point do you go, oh my God, this is just too much. We got to do two albums of this. Um, well, there was a couple reasons we went for that. One, it's over 80 minutes long and I think you can only put 72 minutes of music on a disc so we kind of knew it was going to be two releases for that but there was a very clear-cut um stylistic divide with the music uh as well that made a lot of sense for us to split into two albums uh and also there's there's a cool um uh turning point in the story that allows for it to be split up into two pieces so it made a lot of sense from the narrative standpoint to end Juggernaut Alpha at a certain point in the story and then begin Juggernaut Omega after that turning point. Um, but we, we had a couple of options. I mean, we were advised by some powers that be to, uh, to, to split the album up, release one of them in January and do another one later in the year. You know, I think, you know, mm-hmm. Opeth's done that kind of thing and System yeah. of a Down has done that. A ton of other bands have done that, but we wanted both to come out on the same day. Uh, to sort of be treated as one entity, as one cohesive story, because it really is at the end of the day. It's one overarching narrative that spans two albums. Well, yeah, because it still feels like Omega is a continuation of the thought. I mean, they feel Completely, like yeah. you know two individual pieces, but definitely a continuation of the other. Because like if you if you listen close, you hear the pieces of other like just little. Um, I, I call them a reprise, but you know, you hear them a little pieces of the other songs embedded in other ones, and yeah, there's some cool stuff going on in there. Thank you. Yeah, we spent weeks on that stuff. Uh, like after we had written both albums, um, me and Misha and, and, and Jake, we we spent weeks sitting in front of the computer, you know, with the with the demoed versions of the songs uh, in front of us, thinking about how we can intertwine themes and reference themes that we had, we had already touched on earlier in the album. Uh, so we spent a long time hiding these kind of things in there. Sometimes they're very overt and in your face, and other times you really got to look for them. But uh, we wanted it to be just kind of laden with Easter eggs and, and for, for things that you kind of will really only hear after 15, 20 listens of the album. Sid Vicious just turned over in his grave. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what the hell are you talking about? That's ridiculous. From the computer. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you, I mean where do where do those kind of writing chops I mean where did where did you pick that up from I mean is that like I mean because that seems like this is uh, Grand Wizard level fifteen uh, you know t- <laughs> type type stuff that you're talking about embedding different pieces of other things and I mean is that something that y- you guys have talked about this record for a long time and worked on it together but as far as like doing that sort of stuff the nuts and bolts of it where where, where the hell does that come from. It just comes from a really, really strong sense of collaboration within our band these days. Uh, and I know that one single person in this band couldn't pull it off by themselves. That's a, that's a fact. And I know um, for the first album, Misha wrote uh, most of that album. The second album, we collaborated. But this one, all six of us really 
got together and touched every single song creatively and expressed ourselves 100%. And this, this band had never really been quite a democracy as that. Uh, and for, for every single song, there are always ideas. Um, there are always ideas about how to, to add the kind of thing that, that I was just referring to. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, what it really was was just taking the time to do it. We set aside half a year um, to write the album, you know, to, to write it and really take our time and not be stressed. Uh, Periphery 2 was written between tours, uh, so we was, it was very stressed and we had to rush it. But I, I don't know about the other guys, but for me personally speaking, it was the least stressed I've ever been working on an album. A lot of guys in, in, working on the music, and we, we collaborated in every sense of the word. Well, and then Clear was like the other, the opposite of that, where everybody's got their own uh, dictatorship over uh, over a piece, mm-hmm. where everything sounds. I think that's a good way to put it. Dictatorship's pretty ruthless, and it and it kind of sounded that way, like where each piece is, you know, it sounds like periphery, but it's different, and it was all yeah. about the structure of the song. So a salad, not a soup. Yes. Uh, yeah, it had an interesting effect on us, though. As much as that was kind of a polar opposite of Juggernaut. Uh, it, it kind of prepared us in the perfect way for Juggernaut. It was uh, it was an experiment that was done completely, you know, where one person was their director of their own song, as we like to call it. Um, but for Juggernaut, we ended up not going with a producer. We ended up self-producing, um, which is kind of what all of us did with our own song, the album. So it gave us a confidence in an indirect way on on uh, on how to rely on ourselves uh, for for a process like that and. You know, we went through a process last year where we were thinking about getting a producer, and we even tried out a producer um, to work with. So, you know, it didn't it didn't go so well. And we thought for a second, do we even need one? Let's just try doing it on our own. Let's do clear first. Let's like sort of put put our feelers out there and try and put out an album where we kind of just do it ourselves and and take control of our own track. So it gave us a lot of confidence in that way. Well, that can go terribly right or terribly wrong. I guess in this case it went right, but I mean, sometimes you know if you don't get those extra ears. I mean, with six people in the band, I guess that's yeah. enough ears, right? <laughs> yeah, you would hope so. Yeah, yeah, and that that that's where the challenge comes in with with self producing. You know, the producer traditionally is 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 not necessarily a creative engine in the band. He sort of gets people in order. He he filters through all the BS and he gets people working together. Um, the risk of not having a producer is just pandemonium. Uh, and we try our best to always communicate with each other and, and always be straight up with our feelings. And if we don't like a part, don't just say you don't like a part. If you don't like something, bring a solution. Don't yeah, but somebody in the band whines about crap more than the other. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to hear it from one to six? Yeah, let's hear I'm it. Just I'm not, I'm not gonna <laughs> oh, no, damn! <laughs> Do you realize, like, almost like every Periphery fan listening to this interview had picked up a pencil. They were like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no that that happens with with everyone, and trust me, we're all guilty of it in this band, and every band is guilty of it. It's it, part of part of what this job is. It's it's just learning how to get better at that kind of thing, and learning how to deal with each specific personality in your band uh, and everyone's personality is completely different it, it seems takes, like, takes time it seems like like I, mean, I would imagine that at a certain point during the writing process or the recording process somebody's like no i'm not going to push this any farther because if i push it any farther it's just going to piss so and so off you know yeah, totally yeah and then so and then you, you, know, you got to find that way to like kind of go well i gotta say it and you know what it is um another side of that is uh is touring um you know, the studio is a stressful environment, or can be a stressful environment at times, but touring is another thing where, where one thing that wouldn't necessarily bother you about someone 
can grate on you like nothing else if you're surrounded by it, by it for a month. Uh, so you got to learn how to communicate these things and, and do it in a way that doesn't offend that specific person. But you can only do that by knowing who that person is. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a game. It's a hard game to play. Well, you guys uh, must communicate really well because you're touring constantly. Yeah. If we didn't communicate well, we definitely wouldn't be doing this. We'd be, we'd have imploded. So how, how did that uh, producer guy that you guys tested out, how did that, how did he drop the ball? What should a, a, a potential producer or periphery know in order he needs to do? Yeah, was there an interview question that he screwed up? Yeah. Or was, there, <laughs> was it like, yeah. dude, that really sucked? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it wasn't him dropping the ball at all, I have to say. It was it was just at that time and place, it, we, didn't, we didn't need one. We didn't want one. It, we had... So much that we wanted to do on our own and so much, I guess, to prove to ourselves. And we had so many things to say specifically that we just kind of realized that maybe we should just do this on our own. Uh, we are all very opinionated people and, you know, we're, we're all producers in our own way um, with our music. We're all very, very attached to it. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, it's not something that I would write off right now, but at this time and place, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that that would be coming anytime soon. Let's see how Juggernauts are received, because if people hate it, it's the worst out Let's see. You know how it's being received. I mean, we'll see. I've read a couple reviews. Your review was very flattering. Thank you. There you go, Chuck. I haven't read a bunch of others yet. Oh, come on, dude. And you know when the album... before it, Just don't read the one that's on No Clean Singing. That one is like that. No, I'm just... No, but I mean, seriously, you got to know... You know what you've got when you re- listen to it after it's done. Yeah, but it's one of those things where we've been like just entrenched in it, just surrounded by it. Every as soon as we wake up, we're thinking about it, you know. And this has been happening for over a year now. That like once you're done with it, you want nothing more than just to distance yourself. See, I I, I don't think I've been away. I don't think you're telling the truth. I well, think, that's also the that's also what we're talking about with the producer thing too. Is that you yeah. know you listen to it so much, it's yeah. so hard to tell objectively yeah. what anything. These sounds guys, like. these guys know they got a great album, and and you know why? This is my theory. Can I tell you what my theory is? Sure. Mark, so my theory, Mark, is that is that that whole like uh, return to forever Chick Corea jazz thing you guys do on disc mm-hmm. one is mm-hmm. that is only there so that way the Grammy people will know to give you guys a nomination <laughs> for Metal Album of the Year. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, it's, yeah, what, what, who was it who beat out Metallica like years ago? This Jethro Tull. Jeth- this is your oh, Jethro, Jethro Tull album, dude. This is your Jethro oh, Tull. <laughs> and I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, is, am I wrong? I mean, you no, got to be I mean, thinking that's, that's, Grammy, right? Oh, man, that, that couldn't be the farthest thing from our mind. I mean, that, that kind of stuff, that kind of weird, off-kilter, uh, just kind of unexpected thing, we like. We actually actively like that type of music. Uh, and we can, oh, I'm sorry. We can, yeah, we, we can reference it sometimes when we want to because we just we actively enjoy playing it and writing it. But, yeah, I appreciate that. I hope there is a Grammy in our near future, although I, I wouldn't hold my breath. What's the, the release timing? Are you guys, like, in in time for the next Grammy? Oh, no, no, no. It's they got to wait it's, a whole It's thing? already too late. That's, that's, the, that's the problem. Like, that's the, this is the worst time you could release a record if you're going oh, for a Grammy. What, what was your about? record label thinking? <laughs> yeah, we shot ourselves in the foot with that one, right? Yeah. I, mean, I know we'd, we'd, we'd have won that Grammy for sure had we put it out. <laughs> Could have been up there with Hailstorm, and I mean, yeah. I mean, no, no. Who, you, you really, Hailstorm's going to get so. the nod? <laughs> I think they were You're up kidding. there. I don't remember who got the in. 
Well, you know Judas Priest is getting it because Black Sabbath got it the year before. Oh, oh, Anthrax got it the year before. No, mm-hmm. no, no. Anthrax, no, they didn't get it. Yeah, Judas. So where did uh where where did you pick up like certain where did you get into metal? Because were you did I read that you were born and raised in the Philippines? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I was born and raised in the Philippines. I lived there until I was ten years old. Um, I moved to California uh, when I was a teenager, and yeah, I, I picked up guitar for fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, I started listening to like sort of grunge, alternative rock when I was younger. Really simple music that I could just hear and, and get into. Didn't really have to think about like Foo Fighters and and this music that I was easy to listen to. And then I graduated to. to Metallica, like older Metallica albums, and then before you know it, I was learning uh, all those riffs. There was at one point in time where I knew every riff on Master of Puppets, and I would stand up in my bedroom, not sit down, I would stand up and play the riffs because James Hetfield stood up and played the riffs. Mm-hmm. That was one of those, uh, <laughs> somebody posted one of those questions on, you know, what's the best album to get stoned to? And I was like, Master of Puppets by far. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was stoned, stoned to. Yeah, I did, that was like the, just one of those perfect records to listen to front to back, you know, just. Yeah. Yeah, always. Yeah, man. I totally agree. So when you play the Philippines, is it like a uh, big homecoming where like your parents like, you know, call up all their old friends and stuff like that and go. Yeah, it, it really is, um, and I have a lot of family out there who I rarely see, and uh, yeah, it's a really cool, beautiful thing, because I, I, when I left Philippines, I never thought I would go back, like ever, because um, it's, it's just so far from here, but it's just it's cool that I get to go back and, and see family and see my old country, man, it's great. Are you guys like big everywhere, or are there still areas of the world that you are still trying to, you know, you still got to, yeah, you still got to grow it? I mean, I wouldn't say we're like a big band anywhere. We're we're still kind of growing, but I, you know, the U.S., the U.S. and Australia and the U.K. I think are the markets that were best received. Uh, Canada as well, but yeah, we go to some places. I mean, we did an Asian tour this past year where we went to a bunch of countries that we've never been to before. We went to Thailand, we went to Taiwan, China. Uh, we hit Japan for the first time, and you never know how you're going to be received there. A great show in Australia. For us, it's playing to like 1,500 people. Wow. Uh, a great show in Bangkok is us playing to 200 people because they, they don't know who we are. I mean, they, mm. historically, I mean, they, they probably just found out about us uh, a year ago, whereas Australia has been kind of wise to it for a couple of years. So it really just depends. I mean, we, we, we're constantly shocked by, by uh, the amount of places we're able to play. Like we played in India two years ago uh, to a couple thousand people. We didn't even know that, that people over there knew who we were. Uh, and we're going to Russia for five shows at the end of next month. So Be careful what you sing about. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm actually just not, not going to say any more about Russia. <laughs> Period. <laughs> In case Vladimir Putin is a fan of your podcast. Well, I, th- I think you'll be okay. You're, the covers of your album don't look anything like Butchered at Birth, so I think you'll be fine. Uh, I don't know, man. Open the first page in Juggernaut Alpha when you get the physical artwork. There, yeah, that's all I'm saying. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, well, I'm yeah. a digital guy. Yeah. Physical, I done that. physical record. What's that? Yeah, you just yeah, sold CDs, dude. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. All of us been downloading. <laughs> yeah. Who's responsible for making sure that you get 2,000 people to show up in India? Is it a is it a promoter? Is it the record label? Is it the internet? What What is it? How do they find you? It depends on the kind of place. Like with with uh, with India in particular, it's a very unique market out there. There's no, there's not a lot of record sales in India. Um, they really just rely on, on on the internet, word of mouth, and things like that. And when we book these shows, when we accept them, 
we have no idea what they're going to be like. So, yeah, in that sense, it's up to the promoter. Uh, we have a little bit more control in the U.S. here and Canada uh, over over what our show's going to be like. You know, when we see a venue, for instance, on this tour, we saw a lot of House of Blues. So our aim on this tour is to pack out and try and sell out these, you know, 1,000-capacity venues. And so we have a better grasp on that, but it really just depends, you know. So does it also, does it help if you have bands that are similar to what you guys do stylistically where you go to? Because I'm thinking your name, Australia, name uh, UK. I think of uh, think of some of the bands that come out of those areas that are similar. And yeah. they might build that fan base for the type of music that you play. Do you feel that you guys are seeing genre? The The genre itself is what's drawing people in? I never liked the idea of touring with bands that all sound like us or something. You know, I, I never liked the thought of that because I, I remember as a fan growing up when I would want to go see Morbid Angel or something like that, and then I would see four bands before Morbid Angel that sounded like Morbid Angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the by, the time they played, I would just be so sick of it. When you're playing these areas, these other areas, or, sorry to go back to the areas of the world, but are they paying like two bucks each to see you or? Uh, is, I mean, when you play the Philippines, is that like one of those things where like, oh, it's, it's a $35 ticket? You know, how does that work? No, it's definitely adjusted from territory to territory. When we go play Australia, tickets are very expensive. When we play, yeah, like you said, the Philippines, the tickets are very cheap there. And so is the merch. In fact, sometimes when we go and play these overseas shows, we're advised not even to bring merch because it costs more literally for us to, to take it or ship it than it does than the money that we would actually make from selling it because hmm. we wouldn't sell any merch. You know what I mean? They just pirate all the merch there. Got it. Oh, yeah. so you got to like do what Iron Maiden does and find out where all your stuff is most pirated and then go play there. Oh man, you know that's a fun, that's a funny story. We played uh, we did a European tour Dream Theater a couple of years ago, and uh, and their stuff is heavily pirated, especially in the Mediterranean countries, Italy was the worst example right outside of the venue in italy uh they had dozens and dozens of stands with their shirts pirated um and it was actually a really big problem they they sold like less than a couple hundred dollars merch that night because it's <laughs> such a, big, a a bad problem you know oh man so what do you do you hire the mob you know you're in italy you know <laughs> how do you stop that well now that a couple of years have passed i can tell the story but our videographer who was on the road with us at the time uh we dared him to, to get a cup of bleach from the venue and run up to a bunch of the stands and just throw the bleach all over the That's shirt. awesome! Oh, nice. Did yeah, it work? And it, it, dude, it totally worked. Uh, it, it covered all the shirts. It ruined it. And then he was all proud of himself and he went up to James Labrie from Dream Theater and he was like, dude, guess what I did? And he told him the story and James was like, why did you do that? That's completely irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Well, that's yeah. that's a, that's that's such a cool idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, you gotta get back at them somehow. Yeah. So, how big's your house? <laughs> oh man, I live in a, I live in a two bedroom apartment in Washington D.C. and I pay way too much money for it. Yeah, D.C. That's gotta yeah, be expensive. DC. It is very expensive. I live downtown too, so I, it's uh, way too much, way too much money for what I get. So, are you guys one of those bands that everything has to get split evenly all the time, or do you actually try to, you know, make it so that it's fair compared to what efforts and talents are being no, put in? No, we're, we're we're a democracy from the ground up, uh, through and through. We we split everything evenly. Every member in this band has equal say as far as creative control, uh, political stuff, business decisions. We all have. 
one-sixth share of everything. We all make the same amount of money. Is that important to keep it that way? I mean, we hear that from a lot of bands that that's mm-hmm. like the only way to stay believe, sane. I, yeah, we all believe strongly in that. I mean, you know, you see it all the time in companies and other and other environments where uh, people have unequal uh, stakes in, in something, whether it be a company or a group or a band like this. Uh, it's just, it kind of levels the playing field and and, and lets every member know that their voice is just as important as the person next to them. Uh, so you you don't, you don't ever want to feel like you're alienating someone and feel like their opinion doesn't matter as much as everyone else's, you know? And, and I think it translates well as a business, as a business culture as well, um, uh, for, for everyone then. But is there sort of like a Monty Python, like a uh, split in the band where like you know you have your john cleese and eric Idle agree on everything and oh with michael mm-hmm. Palin and then over there you know what i mean i mean not really we we're all we're all pretty opinionated like we know what we want you know and sometimes it's not always the right thing but that's why we have management in place to kind of pull us in and and uh and remind us of the reality of things you know that's what management is for, for so the manager is the seventh vote Actually, it's funny you say that. Sometimes he, he, he very much is. He's a sort of a tiebreaker. Should we need one? Three over here, three over there. We gotta, yeah. Oh, see, now I would wonder, like in a four-piece band, if you're giving the manager 20%, that would kind of make sense, right? Because you're splitting it five ways. But if you got a six-way split of everything, and then, but it's a six-way split after the management's 20%, that kind of sucks because he's getting twice as much as anybody else in the band. Is that how that works? No, it doesn't quite work that way. I, I can't divulge the specifics of it, but we make sure that that kind of thing doesn't doesn't happen. Are there any concerns about going to Russia because somebody in the band is gay? <laughs> um, no, you know, all all of us are pretty straight dudes. Pretty straight dude. <laughs> okay, so, so, so kind of, you know. Well, I'd imagine you get enough of these like cute little boys who come up asking about your strings. <laughs> it's got to add up every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, maybe that, that maybe that's a good idea not to make any gay jokes like on the way over there or something. <laughs> uh, be a little bit safe about that kind of thing. You know, don't reference homosexuality or Satan or, or, or whatever. You know, anal sex. Well, it depends. I mean, if you really want to play a practical joke on somebody, you could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. You mean like get them deported? Yeah. I mean, like put, like put, a, put a dildo in someone's backpack? Yeah. you could, it's <laughs> Really good. If you want to play instrumental shows in Russia, you could just do, you know, hit Spencer with uh, some rainbow stickers all over his bags <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Like, like put some eyeliner on him while he's sleeping. <laughs> put, put like a dildo covered in chocolate in his carry-on bag. See? Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you. And then it's down to one fifth. It's all good. But seriously, I, I mean, because we did this, we had a, we had such a great uh, conversation with Paul Masvidal last year, and yeah. and it was just it was so great. He was talking about spending time with people, you know, right before they passed, and you know, whole thing. And then and then like we we oh and what, yeah, we were asking about kids and stuff. And then like three weeks later, the guy comes out, and it was like, oh come on. We had this great conversation. It would have been perfect timing for him to come out. Is anybody in the band, uh, like, like, you know? <laughs> Are you asking gay? me if anyone in the band is gay? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll be, I'll be candid with you and say no. Um, yeah, we're all we're all straight. Wait, wait, time, wait, you know? wait! Did you hear that? He said no, and then he said yeah. <laughs> no, we're all we're all straight most all straight. of the time on tour. All right, all good. 
Oh, good. Just asking. I mean, it's, it, it, it doesn't make a difference one way or the other, but you realize that if you had said something, the listener count, it would have just exploded. No pun intended. Right. You know? Like, if I, mean, I chose this moment right now to come out of the closet, like, your guys' ratings would spike. <laughs> <Yes>, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole idea, you know. You know. Right. So like juggernaut this, juggernaut that, all PS, I'm gay. Why didn't you take over band happy? Oh well, that's 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 a long that's a long conversation. That's Matt's baby. Yeah. Yeah. But he needed somebody to adopt the baby. Yeah, instead he just took it out in the field and did a laughing on it. Oh, did he? Well I think he's got other interests. Uh, he wants to put his his, uh, his time elsewhere. He was very busy between the band and running that company. And that's a lot. It's a lot of work running a company full time and being a band. You know. Well, see, that's a secret. You don't run it. You license your uh, yourself to it. Right, right. Which is a, a step that I don't think he was ready to uh, to take quite yet. And so it's not quite his personality. He's very much of a control freak. Uh so did you lose out at all on that as far as, because I mean, I know that you had a page and you do a lot of uh, like teaching on the side and stuff, right? Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't really do the teaching thing much these days because yeah. I don't have time for it. Now we're just so busy. So it was, it was more so his loss. But again, for him, it wasn't really a loss. I know he wants to do other things uh, with his career and, uh, and pursue some other ventures. So he, to him, it was natural. He hasn't, he hasn't uh, considered this as a, as a like a, a dark spot in his life or anything like that you know it's, it's been very much of a an opportunity for him to pursue other things yeah it's like a college degree learning a you know how to run a business like that yeah <laughs> yeah so you don't want to keep him focused on the band you're letting him go and try to you know explore these other interests well he he wants he wants to keep some other things on the side but you know the band is always going to be his and every one of our first priorities you know well i mean is that it are you able to maintain that as far as uh that because we talked to plenty of people are like what your other job is like when you get home it's right like, and dude it, they're playing australia for like a hundred dollars a ticket he didn't need no <laughs> job are you finally are you able to like cut the ties and not wash dishes anymore or i mean you know what i mean like are you able to to, to walk off yeah yeah i mean even if even if we weren't well off enough now to, to be able to do that we just wouldn't have time to do other stuff we're on tour so much we just we don't have time to do that really i mean this is our only job and we have other things on the side we have we have signature gear out we all have different ways to make income uh, on the side yeah so to where we don't have to rely on uh, on working another job at home and it's not like another job could even hire us we're unhirable because we're on on tour so much you know yeah, that's actually what you hear. Most of the time, it's like a lot of people are trade work, you know, carpenters or, right. you know, work right. by the job kind of stuff. Right, or a luthier or something like that. Yeah, something that doesn't go out of style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's like that interview with, uh, 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 was it uh, Gorguts in Canada? I make a very good bookshelf. You know, as a, ca- a cabinet maker, yeah. Yeah, so awesome. So Mark's not making any cabinets on no. that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but he's probably politically active. Okay, so here's the question. Who are you voting for in the next presidential election? Who um, will be endorsed by Periphery? Jesus. Um, I don't even know. I have no idea. I, have, I, I literally, for someone who lives in D.C., I try to stay away from politics. Yeah, but you can't. You, like, go to the movie theaters and Newt Gingrich is sitting there. Dude, that's not an exaggeration. I went to a Chinese restaurant a couple of days or a couple of years ago, and uh, John Ashcroft was sitting at the table next to me. Wow, oh, man! Yeah, 
You just want to drop a bomb. Start singing Where the Eagle Flies. Or yeah, whatever, exactly. You know? Where the Eagle Flies. <laughs> Mark, thank you very much for your time, man. We appreciate it. The album is awesome. Thank you, guys. By the way, I'm gay. I'm coming out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. It, it was a really fun, really fun chat. Well, when you win the Grammy, will you give us a shout-out? Yes, I'll give you a shout-out from stage. Boom. Yes. All right, done.
subscribe to the Metal Sucks Podcast today. Venom comes out on the 27th as well right there, man. That's a uh, new uh, still called The Death of Rock and Roll. From the Very Depths is the name of their latest record on the Metal Sucks podcast. You, you got to appreciate Venom. I mean, I, I, you know, you could love them, not like them, whatever. But, I mean, they're one of the most important bands in the genre. There's just no arguing that. Well, when you think back to the the just the fact that they started, what, 1979 or something like that. Yeah, I think it's when ridiculous. They, they formed. So they're... They're really their formation. Their first record is like an eighty one, eighty two, something like that. So I mean, it's like it's it's the early stuff. I mean, it's the, early, it's the earliest of the early. Yeah, you know. So yeah, 
It's very, very important. I mean, you you can't say to the guys in Venom, so who inspired you? Because they came out of nowhere. Lay down your soul for the goth rock and roll, black metal. And they did that like that. that I don't know shit about black metal either. So (laughs) that's, you know. Well, they probably don't either. You know, it's like they just birthed it and then just let it go. black metal. Exactly. I'd be interested to talk to Kronos about that. That'd be Uh, interesting. Who knows? You may be talking to him right now as this podcast (laughs) is is being posted. So it's entirely possible. (laughs) like oh somebody killed somebody what churches <laughs> what? i didn't know they got I, burned i had no something idea happened there that's a pretty crazy man <laughs> one hell of a story and that ah and and you know no. the other thing you mentioned was that uh this is their 14th album and if yeah, nothing like else you need to respect venom for not calling their 13th album 13 <laughs> that's <laughs> no shit <laughs> Uh, no matter how much you like, you, you know, kiss Mike Mears' ass, he's still, he's <laughs> yeah, still going, tr- yeah. dude, really, I, 13, 13, bro? Yeah. Oh, come on, man. I know. I, but <laughs> no, it's, Suicidal Tendencies are awesome. Uh, no, no, no. It doesn't matter. It's Black Sabbath, Suicidal yeah. Tendencies, everybody Megadeth. has that thing about 13. And I it's like, it. I had to dip. Come, come yeah. on. We got to talk to Stavros, man. Uh, this is like one of the, I've been I've been anticipating this the whole time because this story is so so good. Oh yeah, like uh, like this is one of those uh, one of those times when I'm like, okay, I cannot wait. This, uh, he's more important than even you or I on this show <laughs> because uh, because this is a very 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 lovely story uh, about well the the names have been changed to protect the innocent <laughs> to say the least. Story time with Stavros Giannopoulos. Inspired by true events, songs, or some bullshit he just thought up, Stavros Giannopoulos of the Atlas Moth will weave tales of intrigue that may shock you, they may surprise you, or they may just make you feel sick to your stomach. The names may have been changed to protect the guilty, but probably not. Prepare yourself for story time with Stavros. New Orleans Part 2. So... Remember how we talked about me replacing the band I'm on tour with with famous bands that would make no sense in in hiding people's identity? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was given the okay to not do that, but I kind of feel like I still should. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) I'm out with uh, with, uh, Metallica. Let's just be real. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing their merch. <laughs> so I'm out on the town and I'm hanging out with Jason Newstead and Lars Ulrich, which are the same instruments of the people that I was hanging out with. <laughs> now this has got to be, I think this is 2010, pretty positive. So we're in New Orleans and once again, and I, this trend continues, dude, it's a day off in New Orleans. These are things you just don't do on tour. It should be written into every band's writer. We don't have days off New Orleans. So they have a day off New Orleans, and I tried to give them the whole, like, hey, listen, like, the last time I was down here, like, everyone was shitting all over the place. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> so, like they're clearly not listening to me. So I'm out with Lars and Jason. This is their first tour, mind you. So, like, I'm out with these guys, and, like, we're on Bourbon Street because they're wanting to be tourists. I've already lived the hell of the last story, so... I'm trying to be like cool and just hang out. And uh, these guys want to find some blow. They're like hell bent on cocaine. And I'm like, well, all right, no, whatever. So we're at strip clubs. They're trying to find it for strippers. They're like going to the extent of like going into like the gay bars and letting dudes hit on them and try to get cocaine. That's how like desperate these dudes were to get high. Wow. So yeah, by no means are they, um, are like, you know, 
totally awful human beings. They just want to party. And they're drunk as shit because they've been drinking these stupid booze slurpees for hours. <laughs> so I'm sitting there just kind of like standing back, letting them do their thing, you know. Like I said, I've already been like hurt by New Orleans, so I ain't trying to get hurt again. So they are standing there and they're kind of giving up the quest, right? This dude comes up to me on the street and he's like, yo, man, what you looking for? And I was like, I'm not looking for anything. I'm like, my buddy's over there. They're looking for flow. So my buddy's ears perk up and they start talking. to him. And I'm standing there. I'm drinking a beer, just standing on the corner, like looking at New Orleans and all of its glory. And, uh, these kids come up to me and they're like, yo, man, you're looking for that blow. And I'm like, oh, what? And this kid opens up his hand and he's got like a hundred bags of blow in his hand. <laughs> and I'm just like, holy shit. Like, I'm like, well, you know what? My buddies are looking for that. And as I say this, I turn to where my buddies are and they're walking around the corner with this first guy. And these kids are like, yo, are your buddies with that guy walking around the corner? And I'm like, yeah. And like, yo, that dude's going to rob your friends. You better go get them. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Here we go again. New Orleans. Never failed. <laughs> so I run around the fucking corner. And in like the minute that they walk around the corner, I can't find them. Which is just exactly what I wanted to find when I just told they're going to get robbed. Yeah. I finally find Jason. And I'm like, Jason, where the fuck is Lars? <laughs> He's like, dude, Lars went off with the guy. They're going to this bar down the street to go grab the blow. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing letting him go alone with this guy that we've met on the street selling drugs? Like, you're fucking retarded, you know? <laughs> so he's like, well, dude, what the fuck? And I'm like, well, these other kids who happen to have a handful of cocaine on them right here just told me that that guy who's trying to sell you guys cocaine is going to rob him. <laughs> and they're like, oh, fuck. So, like, we're, like, walking down Burma Street trying to find Lars. All of a sudden, he calls Jason. He's like, yo, I think this guy's trying to rob me. And we're like, God damn. So we run, he's like, I'm at this bar. So we run down to this fucking bar and he's standing outside with this guy. And this guy's like, I don't know where the dude went with your money, man. I don't know where he went with your money. And he's like, dude, just give me my money back. Give me my money back. And I'm like, dude, this is fucked up guys. Like what? 50 bucks. Like, let's just let this fucking go. You know, like just, you, you, you did some dumbass shit. It's fine. Let's just get the fuck out of here. These two guys are not letting it go, though. They're oh, like, no, no, fuck that. We want our money back. And I'm like, guys, we don't live here. This is a bad scenario. Typical Lars. Typical. Typical <laughs> Lars, of course. You know, he's bitching about Napster. <laughs> pissed about everything. So, as they're, you know, attempting to be tough guys, which is pretty fucking weak, mind you, they are following this guy as he walks deeper and deeper down Bourbon Street. And we get like past like the, uh, the, the gay section and then past that, like it's kind of like residential almost and it gets dark. Like, you know, like there's no street lights. It's not like how it is like in the touristy part of Bourbon street. It gets way more just regular New Orleans. So we're walking. I'm like, guys, like we're, we're getting out of our territory. There's not 8 million tourists around us anymore. It's like us three and this one dude just robbed us who, like, probably has a knife or a gun on him or something. Who fucking knows? Like, we should be fucking around. It's not worth it. They are not listening to me. And I'm trying to sit there, like, talk some sentence to them. All of a sudden, I look at my right, and these kids that had the handful of cocaine are sitting on a stoop. So I walk up to them, and I'm like, dude, you guys were fucking right. 
Like, this guy robbed you guys. And they're like, that motherfucker robbed you guys? No way. These kids pop up. They run over to this first guy, and they fucking surround him. And I'm like, uh-oh. Like, what did I do? <laughs> and they're like, yo, dude, give these guys their money back right now. And this guy's like, I don't have their money. I don't have their money. These kids are arguing with him. The one kid puts his hand, like, on my chest and, like, pats me back, you know, like, give me some room. He's like, yo, back the fuck up. I'm like, all right. This kid winds up and knocks this dude in the head harder than I've ever seen someone get hit. This guy falls to the ground. He is fishing, like, shaking. There's blood just pouring out of the head all over the fucking street. It's fucked. I looked up at Lars and Jason, and they were just like, what the fuck just happened? The kid that hit him hits me in the shoulder and goes, yo, get your money back and come find me. And these guys disappear like Batman. They're just like gone. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so we're all standing there looking at each other, and this guy's bleeding and fishing out in the street. And uh, Lars kind of shrugs his shoulder and starts going through his pocket. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, guys, all right, now there's a dude bleeding from his head, shaking on the ground, and you're robbing him. We need to get the fuck out of New Orleans. You know, like, all of a sudden, like, these, like, you know, three, like, total waspy, touristy couples start walking down the street past us, all laughing, having a good time. They have their fucking booze slurpees and their beads on, and they see three metal dudes with beard and leather jackets wearing all black, robbing this dude bleeding from his head. <laughs> <laughs> and they look terrified. And uh, Jason's like, oh, don't worry, folks. It's okay. He robbed us first. <laughs> that was like the logic behind it. They don't find their money in the guy's pocket. They find a bunch of like baby aspirin, literally. That's what they were because they pulled them out of the pocket and they took them with because they thought they were other drugs. But they want to be baby aspirin in the pocket. And they're like, all right, we're going to leave. And I like hustled them back to the van, got them in and drove them back to where we were staying. And, uh, and that's why you don't have days off in New Orleans. <laughs> Man, don't take Lars's money. Man, I, I think every story when you need to change the names needs to be the names of the guys from Metallica. Yeah, right. It's that's, always going to be Lars. I can, I can make this be all of them. Yeah, it's fucking great. It's always Lars. It's always that's fucking great. <laughs> Okay, so he stole a lot of stories on the Metal Sucks podcast, but that's got to be one of my favorites. I mean, Eaglehead was awesome, right? Eaglehead was great. Eaglehead was great, but that one right there, oh my God. Oh my God. I can totally, (laughs) like I pictured the whole thing going down, Yeah, and I have retold that story. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, you got to hear the story. This is so funny. We just got to get Alice Moth on the road more often just so we can get more Metallica stories. We need to get them days off in New Orleans. (laughs) That's what we need to do is the day off in New Orleans. Every time they go on tour, so the more of this stuff can happen, dude. Uh, That's great. That's awesome. Hey, Thank you, Stavros. So if you have it. a story of Atlas Moth that would make a really good story, <laughs> put it on Speakpipe. We'd love to do like a 
like you know the story's coming the story, out instead of just coming it, out instead of instead of story time with or with story time with Stavros it'll be story time of Stavros yeah, yeah, yeah totally. we can have a whole nother ooh I like the idea yeah we can flip flop that sucker around there just make sure when you record you're using members of Metallica to protect <laughs> the innocent the innocent uh, other than Metallica alright good times man Hey, uh, make sure that you're subscribed to this stupid podcast on iTunes, man. Give us five stars. Tell us we suck and all that good stuff, dude. Uh, just search for Metal Sucks Podcast. You will find it there. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on other uh, podcasting apps and uh, all over the place, even YouTube. If you want to pull us up on there, you can do that as well. Uh, find us on Twitter if you'd like to communicate. I am at Bearded Ape. I am at Godless Speaks. And uh, yeah, you can do that uh, and tweet us and all that stuff. And we post every week, of course, at MetalSucks.net. So look for us on Mondays. That's uh, when we typically post next week. I believe uh, we're going to try to do the 70,000 Tons episode, right? Yes. Uh, because right now we are in... Uh, Actually, we're probably flying back and stuck in an airport somewhere. But still, <laughs> uh, we got to go on the 70,000 tons of metal, and uh, and we are going to be doing that episode yeah. uh, next week. So, And who knows what the hell is going to happen on that episode. Maybe we're going to have some story time, but we're going to have to tell and change the names of the... Uh all I know is last year when we went, we recorded a bunch of shit on the boat and and a lot of stuff we didn't use. Yeah. Like like we recorded in a, in a couple. Of, yeah, like it was. Yeah. yeah, we did a lot of work. Oh, we tried. No, we no we. Had, I like the it fact was, that we're trying. It was fun. Yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't fun, but it was also like. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. Uh, no, it was it was totally. I bet totally there garbage. are some nuggets in there. He's hammered all the time. I mean, it's <laughs> terrible, you know. And yeah, all that. Actually, he just had to put up a nice sleep apnea. That's all. <laughs> all right, we got to wrap this thing up, man. So till next week, I'm Chuck. I am Godless, and this is the Metal Sucks Podcast. <laughs>